Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Aviation Cafe podcast. My name is Samer Sibasma, your host. And uh, today I had the pleasure of having Major Jar- Jared Barkemeyer from the U.S. Air Force, uh, who flies the C-17, with me to talk about his journey through aviation. And uh, Major Barkemeyer, welcome. Hey, how's it going, Samer? Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, glad to have you on. Glad we could make it work out. Yeah, the, the difficult schedules are tough to align. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, br- bring us back, Jared, uh, to that first um, moment when you had that, the, like the aviation bug bite you. Oh, okay. Uh, I would say when I was in elementary school, my uh, playground was kind of. I grew up in central New Mexico, a small small town. But our playground, I found out later in life, was kind of underneath a, a low-level uh, military training route uh, that C-130s would fly. Um, and I didn't know anything about the Air Force at all, but they would fly over our playground, and um, you would and pretty low on a military training level or low level. You know, they're a couple hundred feet off the ground, and um, even as a child, uh, planes just like kind of demand respect. Whenever you hear them go over your head, you just look up and. Uh, I don't know if that was like an inception in my brain that I've always kind of been, oh, that's a really neat thing I'd like to do. Um, and then from the first line, fly, first time flying as a passenger, I think it was like on Southwest as like a 10 year old, maybe um, taking off out of Albuquerque in a mountainous uh, mountain wave turbulence, maybe on the departure. And you kind of get that little roller coaster feeling in your stomach of uh, weightlessness almost. And uh, ever since that moment, I knew I was like hooked and this is seemed like something that was really fun to do. Maybe. And then now later in life, knowing that when you kind of go weightless in a plane, it's not something the pilots really intend to do. So, um, but that moment was really kind of set me on my journey, I would say. Yeah. And going from that moment on, how did you eventually say, okay, you know, you kind of mentioned it briefly a little bit in your introduction, the military airplanes would fly over your elementary school. So how did you go from that kind of like moment to essentially saying, okay, you know what, you know, I want to do this like more in the Air Force. And that's kind of like my thing I always wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, in high school, I was kind of um, still interested in it, but I was more interested in trying to play um, sports for as long as I could. I had a very athletic background growing up, not necessarily an athletic person very naturally, but I worked hard uh, and I wanted to play Division One sports. Um, and <clears throat> so good place to do that was at the Air Force Academy. Um, and I, that kind of mirrored like, everyone would say like, oh, you go play sports there. And then after you go be a pilot, like it was that simple. And I was like, okay, sounds great. Cause I knew I probably wasn't good enough to be any kind of major league in anything uh, for baseball or anything like that. So I went to the Air Force Academy to play sports, stayed for totally different reasons. And then uh, did kind of parlay that um, uh, getting into the Air Force Academy and the aviation uh, dream and went off to pilot training there. And uh, after the Academy, your pilot training in Oklahoma, was really fortunate enough to do well there, uh, even though it was tough. Just like everybody that's going through pilot training, it's not an easy thing. Um, uh, people did say that, like, when you graduate the Air Force Academy, you'll just go be a pilot. And that's people say these things like they're no big deal. And uh, anybody that's been pilot training in any level, whether it's military or civilian, knows it's not that simple. Um, so there was def- definitely difficulties when I was flying uh, in pilot training, but was fortunate enough to get through those because um, there are a lot of help and mentors and part of the reason I want to be on this podcast with you. And I, I appreciate what you do so we can pay it forward to help the next generation not make our mistakes. Um, but I was awarded C-17s out of pilot training 
it was a dream plane. It was kind of newer, newer uh, cargo plane at the time. I knew I was more passionate about flying around the world than necessarily uh, fighter jets. Um, and partly that into nearly 10 years of flying the C-17, been to 40 countries, uh, multiple combat deployments. Um, oh, by the way, my wife is a C-17 uh, military pilot as well. We met, you know, at the academy and went to pilot training together and had two boys now. And uh, now we're trying to um, find out what's next for us. And I think that's going to parlay into more of a, a commercial aviation industry and hopefully get hired by some of the majors here pretty soon. Yeah, definitely um, referring to, you know, paying it forward, you know, that's my whole goal with this podcast, you know, for me, you know, I've made my share of mistakes, you know, um, you know, in private, you know, instrument, now finishing up commercial, you know, um, you know, there, if I go back, you know, I wish I did things differently, you know, wish, you know, I stood up more for myself so that it wouldn't take as long as it did. Um, that'll be some of the major things. Um, you know, and also helping it pay forward, which, you know, I'm glad, oh, you know, uh, we could do this together. Yeah, we, I mean, we, could, I'm sure we could each go on, uh, for on and on about mistakes we've made. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I, and, and like I said, I, I, I'm happy to be here to help with those things. And there's some specifics, but in general, it's just like, um, you really have to take it serious. And, um, until you, and it, it sounds silly because everybody knows aviation is a serious business, but until you make your own mistakes, and have those like um, eye-opening moments or awakenings, I guess you could call them. You don't understand um, how serious it is, and then but those those moments that do happen, those hard knock lessons, they do set you off to to learn and to be better in the future. But hopefully, I like to think you don't have to learn them that way, and other people could help you learn them. So I'm glad we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But you know, sometimes you know it is important for people to make their own mistakes, you know, and just to be like, okay, yeah, th this is what they're referring to, you know. Yeah. And I will say, if you're if you're starting your aviation journey, making those own mistakes is it does sound dangerous, but um, you're with an advanced instructor every time you're out there. You're very rarely alone, unafraid, without experience. So um, that is a good thing about uh, the way aviation is kind of built. You're never really alone and unafraid um, until you're hopefully have passed the the myriad. And especially in the U.S., we have a lot of uh, requirements to ensure that people are ready to go before they go and take a plane out by themselves. So. Yeah, that, that definitely, you know, um, I think in like the where, place where aviation is more mature, like, you know, the US, Canada, Europe, you know, there is quite a lot, uh, quite a high bar before you can solo a plane by yourself, um, you know, and there is quite a lot of training that goes into that. And, you know, you're almost always with an instructor, you know, and also, you know, when you're flying, hopefully you're using your resources with air traffic control and stuff and they can be an excellent resource as well for, you know, when you're up there and you're by yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. You do get that. I do get some of those questions like, are you scared? And it's like, uh, you really never have time to be scared and because you're so consumed in learning it. And then by the time you're actually maybe by yourself, you're no longer scared because you feel confident that you've done this before. And you know, you have all those other resources at your disposal. So if anybody's starting this journey, uh, it's not scary. <laughs> you never... <laughs> are really scared yeah yeah you know in the moment you know we've all had our you know individual unique experiences where you land and like you're like holy smokes that was something that i do not want to do again yeah. <laughs> yeah but those lessons like you said you do kind of have to learn them um they're not something you can just read in books uh obviously you, you read the books and the tech orders and all your your rules and regulations and the far and the aim and then the military we have our our uh, dash ones and our, our air force manuals but um 
learning those lessons. Uh, you do use those lessons to pay it forward still, but you have to kind of learn some of them yourself. Yeah, you have to have that real world experience a little bit to kind of like, you know, understand it. You know, you can listen to this podcast. You know, I've done like six episodes now, but, you know, it's not the same as, you know, being in the plane yourself, you know, whether for you in the C-17 or me, you know, flying on my own in whatever plane I happen to be flying. And yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, talk to us more about like how it is for you. Um, like when, when you get deployed, because not everyone has had the opportunity to, you know, fly the C-17 and deployed fashion. What are some of the considerations that you all take into account? Because obviously you are, you know, in an active combat situation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so once again, not alone and unafraid. Usually we deploy um, and and I use the term deploy in the C-17 loosely because we're a worldwide asset. Um, we are always, um, even when I'm home, I could go fly a, a combat mission uh, in you know three days. Not here. At the, I'm, currently, I'm teaching at the schoolhouse. I forgot to mention that. Um, uh, so we're not on deployable status right now, but in my more um, operational assignments, uh, we could go and fly from, let's, for example, if you're in Charleston, straight into Afghanistan when we were uh, more engaged in that conflict. Um, any day of the week, you could be assigned on those missions. Uh, the deployments, however, are usually three, four, or six-month rotations where you're out there um, at a main operating base in CENTCOM, which is in the, in the past, obviously, um, drawing down, but you'd be deployed in Qatar or um, Kuwait. And then you'd be flying combat missions daily. Um, and then we did have a, su a substantial spin-up process for those things uh, to make sure you're ready to go, uh, your, your currency uh, in the events you might be flying. So uh, in the civilian world, you know, you got, kind of, they call it balances, I think. You make sure you have your takeoffs and landings. And we have very similar, but more for like um, flying aerial fueling, um, sure you're proficient uh, or current to do those things. So you prepare that way. Um, and then um, you deploy as a squadron which is nice so usually you have a couple crews you're familiar with everybody uh you have consistency with who you're operating with it's not like the airlines where uh, you show up one day and then you have another force officer a new captain you've never flown with you might never fly with them again uh, these are people you've kind of built rapport with um, and then you know their strengths and weaknesses and hopefully they know yours uh, and you make each other better uh, but that preparing mindset is just kind of you're going into um a conflict, um, and I, I once again I use deployment conflict loosely because uh, we uh, are never really we can be in harm, but in the in the, the conflicts I've flown in, I've never really felt too uh, worried about my own safety um, because, and I'm fortunate that way because I know there's other careers in the military, and my brother was a, a enlisted infantryman, so he was actually in you know harm's way, so uh, deploy and deployed for months on end where we were just a cute couple of months, but to the to answer your question, to prepare for that, um, we just get those 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 flights in, and then um, to ensure we're ready to go, and then we just do them while we're out there um, on rotations, basically, and uh, we fly. We have a lot of rules um, on like how often we can fly, and just like uh, in the Part One Twenty One world, Part One Thirty Fives. But that's the gist of it. Yeah, um, I know. Like in some um, airlines, depending on the plane you're flying with, you know, it can be a smaller kind of crew because i like to know for example when like the a380 just came out it was like very few select amount of people that were flying it so you know it was like a smaller group like you mentioned um you you kind of out of pretty quickly know everyone and you know their strengths and weaknesses and you know um 
even though you might fly with different people, eventually, you know, you might fly with the same people again. And yeah. like that, you know, you can easily kind of like, t- there's no like weird first day hellos or anything. Yeah. Or, and and <clears throat> for like, for example, let's say, you know, with weight and balance, is like, is there like some things like you guys can't take on the C-17? Like, or you just like whatever they put on the plane, like, okay, just go. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's kind of the, the the design of it. Um, you know, this is not the largest cargo plane in the U.S. Air Force, but the second largest. But um, <clears throat> basically, the circumference of things we can carry is very is almost near the largest. It's very similar to the C-5's actual um, circumference as far as like the size of uh, dimensions or something we could take. Obviously, not as long, but um, if it fits, it kind of ships. You know, just like FedEx or you know, those UPS cargo carriers. Um, we have uh, load masters in the back that fly with us. They're experts in ensuring we can pretty much take anything as long as it can be restrained uh, with lateral forward and you know after strengths. And um, if it can be restrained and it's we can make it under gross takeoff weight, which is five hundred eighty-five thousand pounds. Um, and usually our our zero fuel weight's around two hundred eighty-five thousand pounds. So with fuel, you know our max cargo capacity is in the, in the mid hundred thousands. Um, so we can take some crazy things. I've taken uh, tanks. I've taken multiple helicopters. I think I fit three on, you know, one time. So anything that can fit on that plane goes on that plane. And um, I've seen it all, or my wife, I've seen, you know, she's seen it all too. So kind of like double experiences when she like sends me pictures of the back, you know, like this is what I'm taking this time. And you're like, Whoa, like that's crazy to think about just sitting in the back of your plane as you're flying across the ocean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, the diversity of things that you see in the military are probably way exceed, like, you know, if someone flies, you know, for UPS, FedEx, you know, you name it. Oh, yeah, I was talking to my buddy who flies for UPS, and he was like, he, I mean, he was pretty new at the company, um, but um, he, he was, I was like, it had been like 10 flights, and I was like, what have you been carrying? He's like, honestly, I've been just like worried about, I haven't even gone back there to look. And he started going back there and he's like, you know, some most times it's boxes and they do carry cool stuff too, like, you know, especially, um, but he's like, mostly just boxes. He's like, but it blew my mind that in 10, 10 flights, he hadn't even gone to the back to see what was back there. <laughs> yeah. You know, like in the, I know like in the 121 world, you know, you get like dispatched and you don't really think about it too much because like you're busy with other things, but you know, like yeah. I'm not exactly sure how the C-17 is laid out, but I think you have to like go past the, your all your freight as you're going to the flight deck kind yeah of yeah that's another thing is like you, you um when you enter the plane it's pretty obvious what's right there as long as you don't you look to the right and then you know, um most aircraft commanders or other pilots are very curious and just by happenstance you, you have to see it but um i think most great are not great even just a good aircraft commander a good captain if you will will, will talk to the loadmaster about what we're carrying um I think some people think pilots are big headed, but like, I know it's more important to be like, we're just bus drivers. I call us combat Uber. Like it's more important what's, what we're taking in the back than what we're actually doing in the front, especially in the car world and fighters, fighters are definitely different. But for us, I'm just like, we're just bus drivers, man. We should know what's back there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially in the military, you know, you, de- you definitely, you know, want to make sure that it's tied down. It's not shifted around. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I've never like once, been worried about it because of my load masters i know the training they go through is pretty substantial and, and then they have skin in the game too because they're flying on it. i know maybe in a in a cargo capacity those people are just loading the planes and they get off so maybe not as invested in the, the safety of the plane not to say that fedex or ups or amazon don't have safety at the front part of their mind but 
they don't have that the personal investment of being on the plane with us. Yeah, I know with some operations it can be different. Um, I have a friend who flies for Western Global. He's like, yeah, we have a load master on every flight. Oh, so, okay. you know, so they do have skin in the game. So I think it varies operation to operation in the civilian world. But, you know, it's good to know that in the military world, it's on there in every flight for, oh, yeah. you know, in your, your capacity as C-17 pilot. Yeah, multiple. And it is, once again, I will say see the praise of the load masters because they're young. I mean, you can get, I would say, like, if I knew the career field, if I didn't want to go to college, um, what it is, go be a load master because you can be flying the same missions, pilots, going to the same crazy places as someone that took like eight years or, you know, degrees with qualifications. Uh, you can do that when you're 18. You know, you just got to go through like a couple of months course and you're you're in the plane. Like I've flown with 18, 19 year old load masters that are going to Greece with us. And, you know, they were just, they had never left their hometown in Kansas and now they're across the world. So uh, it's pretty cool seeing um, they're young, but they have lots of training and they're, and I'm confident, you know, that they're, they're killing it back there. So. Yeah. And I, and I understand also you are also an instructor on the C-17. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm an instructor uh, and evaluator as well. So not, it's very in the part 121 or I, I, I still kind of learn it like 91, 135, all that. Uh, not like an FAA examiner, um, but it's kind of an analogy. Yeah. Um, evaluate and instruct. Um, Cause they're even on an evaluation, you should, um, especially in the military, it's still instructions given uh, as long as they could pass the, the minimums. Still want to instruct to make them better. But yeah, I've been an instructor since 2018 and an evaluator or sorry, yeah, 2018 and an evaluator um, since 2020. So, yeah, and, and like, how does that kind of like differ to kind of like what you know in the civilian world for you know instructing to kind of be is it kind of like the same you know, or like or what are some areas that you all focus on when it comes to kind of working in the C17 as you know let's say an equivalent to the CI type type rating. Yeah, I think they're kind of similar. My brother-in-law is teaching at the United Aviation Academy right now, actually. So he's kind of tuned me in with some of the jargon. Um, and I think there's a lot of analogies there. Um, very similar. Um, not really type rating specific. I mean, in the C-17 is not type rated aircraft. You know, there's no an analogy yeah. in, the, in the civilian world. But uh, to fly, we instruct different levels. Um so you could instruct an initial call. So the first a co-pilot. So still, I would say that's like an analogy of like learning to be a commercial pilot. They've already kind of done their um, instruments and basics and all that. And then now an aircraft commander is another substantial upgrade. So from the right seat to that left seat would be the analogy there. And we still instruct that level. Um, so in our world, it's being able to aerial, aerial refuel, um, showing the capacity to do that as well as uh, short field landings. Um, which are a little different term in the civilian world. Our short field landings are dirt up to 3,500 feet for like a, you know, 500,000 pound aircraft and 3,500 feet to land is pretty, pretty a, a significant event. Uh, and then I instruct other instructor candidates. So people learning how to um, um, not only fly around in a plane, um, but to ensure that um, people's different learning styles uh, can be adapted to and uh, finding strengths and pulling those out of those people and then ensuring weaknesses are not, below the standards. Um, so those are kind of kind of the analogies I would say is that, you know, I, I instruct all different levels um, from a basically start, but I wouldn't go as low as like a, maybe a commercial pilot would be a kind of the quality is the lowest I instruct. I don't instruct at the undergraduate pilot training, which would be more, you know, um, private pilot or CFI level. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, there's, there is the difference, you know, 
yeah. that, that, you know, from going that basic level up to, you know, uh, your level of instructor as well for C-17, you know, learning different skills. Um, you know, obviously uh, the military has its own, like, you know, internal evaluation standards and it's not, you know, directly related to the FAA yeah. uh, standards and regulations. Yeah, they, they, we have, you know, obviously different goals, uh, but a lot of our publications are pulled from the FAA and, you know, they've been doing it right for a long time now too. So it'd be, um, it'd be silly to not pull things from them. Obviously we have a huge, uh, you know, our objective that lines by the national defense strategy and um, Congress and the, the president, but um, the FAA is worried about just the national airspace and staying that safe or um, have obviously different goals, but turns out we fly around in the same air so <laughs> most of the rules <laughs> do apply still yeah it's yeah, definitely important to follow all the uh, airspace norms that you know the yeah. fa does set because you know obviously we're in the we're in it together you know yeah, whether exactly. military or civilian yeah it doesn't matter what color the plane you hit is if you hit each other it's not gonna be <laughs> yeah true, so. yeah it's not gonna be a good day yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so um, obviously, you know, now that, you know, you've had your military career, you know, you're kind of going on now, um, you know, what's kind of like things that you've been looking at, you know, making your next step from yeah, 17 so, to, you know, anything else? Yeah, my wife and I's priorities have obviously, um, you know, like I said, I went to the Air Force Academy to play sports and maybe be a pilot. Uh, so your priorities change in life. Uh, and I'll say that for anyone on their journey your priorities will change, you know, you'll get married or you'll have other things. Um, I never wanted to have a, like a, like a, I never wanted to be a general, you know, I never like had that <laughs> intrinsic desire. Yeah. Uh, I like people and meeting new, new people all the time. And then the higher you get up in the military, most people will tell you the less you fly. Uh, that's kind of nature of the beast. Um, and I'm still very passionate about aviation and flying around the world and uh, even flying around America. I love so much. Um, but um uh, what's more important to us is our priorities changing now is that uh, we, we just don't, with the military, you have to move a lot, um, especially the older you get. And uh, I grew up in, and my wife pretty much grew up in the same city. I mean, I grew up, we grew up in different cities, but we didn't move a lot when we were kids. So we value that. We value that stability. I think it's great for, for our family. Uh, so we don't want to move anymore. So kind of doesn't align with the military. So we're going to be separating. Um, I think we're still going to, we're still planning on serving in a reserve capacity, which is nice because we're going to join a reserve unit and not have to move uh, from that unit as long as we want to keep serving. Um, but then ultimately go to the commercial sector. Um, the airlines are, you know, <laughs> if, you're, if you haven't listened to any aviation news in a while, airlines are hiring right now. Um, maybe, I don't think in ever, Definitely not, obviously, in recent history, since airplanes have been flying, has there been an industry boom like this? Um, so there's, and there's a shortage of qualified pilots uh, um, that can fill those roles. Um, the cargo are not hiring right now, but um, I'm a very personable person, so I wanted to fly passengers anyway, call me crazy. Some people just want to fly cargo, um, but I like the the human interaction of that, that, and I think it's just a little more purpose of flying people. So we're going to transition to hopefully get hired by a major airline here shortly. Uh, you know, you're, you're United American uh, or um, Delta, you know, in no particular order, but there's kind of top three and then Southwest is up there. Uh, all things that we're very interested in the lifestyle lends itself to both our wife and I are very uh, hoping to fly from one of those major airlines. Yeah, I know. Um, I know I have a friend that uh, works for a major airline. He's a captain on the Dreamliner for one of them. 
Um, oh, and uh, he, you know, he's also in the hiring department and, and he said, yeah, last year, I think 2022, they're trying to onboard, like, I think it was about 10,000 personnel or something like that, he said. And he, he only met like half the quota or something, you know, so yeah, that, that definitely, you know, not this kind of like weird kind of like lopsided thing from, you know, post pandemic and everything, you know, it's kind of a great time to, you know, get into aviation, whether it's pe- uh, being a pilot, you know, flight attendant, whatever, you know, they're hiring. Oh, yeah, they're hiring. I, I think uh, some quotes I've heard uh, from chief pilots, a major, or not chief pilots, but pilot hiring managers, uh, those three major airlines, American United, Delta, are all trying to hire in the ballpark of 2,000 pilots in the next year or so. And they've already done that in the last year since the hiring regained after COVID. Um, so just pilots alone. You're probably have about 10,000 pilots across those three major airlines and then Southwest and Frontier and Spirit all kind of need another 2,000 together. Um, and that's crazy. And then it's just in, I think the quote I heard in 2018 to be competitive at one of these airlines, he was like, how many uh, shuttle launches do you have to get hired here? And, <laughs> and now it's uh, how many min- are you at the minimums and come interview. And while they're still, um, we went and got a, a CGO at an airline and there was 20 people uh, and for star CGO is a conditional job offer. We've gotten one recently and 20 people interviewed and only 10 got hired. So they're still screening people like, you know, crazy, but you will get in the door with minimums where in the past you wouldn't even get called to, to show up and try your hand. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we're in the middle of the interview process uh, right now. And I had no idea. You know, transition from the military to the civilian world. I hadn't interviewed to go anywhere. <laughs> I never interviewed for a job. I never had another job. So it's a whole new thing you have to prepare for. And there's a whole industry behind that. We can get into that too if you want, but it's a crazy time right now. Yeah, yeah let's get into that. I mean, how, how, how did you prepare, you know, for kind of like these interviews after, you know, obviously you never interviewed, you know, in your entire life? <laughs> you know, I, luckily, I, um, once again, we I have mentors and instructors in life that have helped me in the plane, and now I have mentors and instructors at the airlines have uh, kind of are paying it forward again, and that's another reason I'm here. Is you know there you should have an interview prep service if you haven't heard of these places. Um, there's tons of them. You just Google them. Personally, we use uh, this pro, uh, Spitfire Elite. It's kind of a new one, uh, but there's other ones out there. Uh, but they will take you from day one and there's podcasts out there too on these guys. Um, but day one of like, Hey, no matter what your background is, military, part 121, regionals, whatever, um, 135, they will, they'll cater to you and tell you, you know, they have kind of the inside knowledge of what these companies are looking for and they're all different. They're all very different on what they're, what kind of, they want an interview process and how to answer a question. Um, and it's kind of a different language and you might not speak it, especially if you're military, we have a totally different background of like how we operate in the system, you know, mission first um, and just kind of get that mission done where the airlines, um, you know, we've learned obviously and, and rightly so, you know, we both have huge safety cultures, but the airlines is definitely a people first organization because without the people and the passengers being happy and that kind of empathetic crew leadership, um, there is no airline. So Whereas the mission will always has to go as long as, you know, we're kind of a no fail in a lot of ways um, yeah. with passengers. It's like if the passengers aren't showing up and the company doesn't exist. Uh, so we had to do those prep services and this entail, you know, mock interviews, um, 
reading lots of uh, these you know trip reports of what have been asked and just trying to under, understand what the company wants from you um, not to change who you are the company's never want to change who you are uh, but to ensure that you put your best foot forward and you speak their language uh, of what they're looking for and it is a unique one so don't just go into an interview saying i have the minimums and uh, i'm a personal person like me i would like to think i'm like oh i can talk to anybody uh, but that's not always the right answer. You need to have some coaching. You know, this is a multi-million dollar career, and you should spend money to prep for it. Yeah, that's 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 definitely very important. Um, you know, you can't just be like walking in, you know, handing your in your resume, and be like, yeah, I'm a personal person. I have to meet. I meet the minimums. You know, <laughs> hire me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're like, uh, it's not that easy. Like, tell you know, there's they're definitely trying to to stress you in the interview to find out who you really are, but they don't. They, they're not they don't want to find out who is a polished like every you know on your interview that might be your best day you might have to fly a plane on your worst day um and they need they're trying to stress you a little bit to find out who you really are uh, to ensure that you fit their company because they do hire for life you know they're not um if you get hired and then that door you're part of the family you'll be there if they make a hiring mistake i mean you could really anger a lot of crew members if you're not the person that you you if they think you are or maybe you know heaven forbid you you been metal someday um because you got kind of got overlooked and who you were um so they you know it's a it's an important process but um they have to get it right and i i don't envy them because it is tough to, to meet someone for an hour and know if they're like this person's good for our company or not yeah you know i do emphasize emphasize with um the recruiters and you know everyone involved you know trying to like determine how a person is based off of like one hour you know yeah and i mean they're gatekeepers too they they do have some training and luckily a lot most of these interviews there's another pilot in the room and that and ultimately it's a lot of the times the pilots want to know can i get along with this first officer you know if are am i gonna be on a four-day trip with someone that's just gonna be licking the window and i can't talk to um or am i gonna be with some um i heard one of the questions is like the worst thing is you get a first officer and you're just like hey so you like stuff and like because you just can't get anything out of them i mean uh flying is you know uh hours of boredom and moments of sheer terror but those hours of boredom if you don't have another like person that you can at least have a conversation with those hours of boredom are you know days of boredom <laughs> they they feel like so uh, and i've seen that in the military world too um we, we don't have that screening. We have a screening process that's similar, but you don't always get it. You know, you don't really get the same say and um, airmanship that a, a major airline can kind of gatekeep and ensure those people don't make it. Yeah, that that's for sure. You know, um, you know, I have a lot of friends that are flying in the major airlines around the world, and you know, they have told me quite interesting stories. You know, of you know, first officers coming in, you know, on a four day trip. You know, they just throw their flight back down, and they just are just dead quiet. You know, and it's like, okay, you know, like, do you like anything? You know, yeah, um, <laughs> like yeah. I don't think, um, I think I can really, you know, I, I just have to get, I don't know if it's a gift, but I have the gift of gab, you know, so I can talk to anybody and try to pull it out. And I like meeting new people, like these podcasts, I love you know, finding people's backgrounds and seeing yeah, how they got where they got. And because no paths are the same. And I think like mine is kind of uh, my path might be interesting to some, but it seems very vanilla and like straight laced. Like I never like, Oh, you know, I did work for this company for a little while. I worked for this company. It's like, no, I was in the military, flew in the military. Now I'm going to go to a major. And it's like, Oh, that's how like kind of a pretty generic story. <laughs> so. 
yeah, you know, that's definitely for sure. Um, you know, everyone has their own unique path and, you know, uh, definitely having the skills for, you know, interacting with people, you know, you kind of have to be an extrovert, you know, in this aviation industry because you are together in a pretty confined space for hours on end, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what other, avi- I mean, like submarines, I guess, are similar, but like you're in a pressurized, you know, cabin hurtling through space impossibly uh, and you're stuck with this person, you know, whether you like them or not, there's nowhere to, you can't just open yeah. the door. Whereas like in an office, you're just like, oh, I'm going to go to the other office. Yeah. It's not, it's absolutely not the same as an, as an office where you can be like, okay, I'm going to take this other cubicle, you know, down the yeah. other end, you know, it's not the same, you know, you have aviation is a safety oriented field and you have to have good um, interpersonal skills as well. Yeah, and you're, that's it's huge. You're hitting on that because yeah, it's not just the interpersonal to for the sake of like not having a bad time. It's for the purpose of working well as a team. Um, and if you if you don't have a kind of some sort of shared connection, I mean, I don't know if you. It's like a. Have you ever seen the movie like Pacific Rim? Have you seen those movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so they have like they have to have the Jaeger can only be controlled by two, you know, people that can like mind lock. That's, I mean, that's piloting. You, you need to con- be on the same team, especially if it's a, a an emergency procedure, uh, you need to be in step with that person. And if you guys are out of sync, you know, that's when bad things can happen because uh, whatever, you know, background or social norms or, um, you know, not questioning the captain, you know, you've heard those cultures and we've seen the safety videos. If you have any familiar with aviation of like, you know, the captain's always right culture versus, you know, um, the first officer being afraid to speak up. Yeah, yeah. That was, um, I remember reading a couple of accident reports a couple of years ago, you know, it's, uh, Korean Air and, you know, um, a couple other Asian carriers, um, I'm kind of forgetting them, had a bunch of accidents. And, you know, a lot, a lot of it was down to, you know, the first officer not questioning the captain and, you know, uh, part of it not having good CRM skills and, you know, interpersonal skills that they, you know, didn't really lock in together. And, you know, a part of it also is just, you know, the the hierarchy, you know, and the culture itself was just, you know, not allowing it for it to, for younger crew members to speak up and be like, this is not right, you know, stop this right now or taking control away from the captain, you know, might not always be culturally correct, but it is always the safe thing to do in case, you know, you are in a, you know, emergency scenario. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that's why it's very important. I think, you know, you've seen some of the pushes for uh, maybe single pilot ops, but um, there may, one day I, I could see it happening in the, in the military and um, commercial air, but not for a long time. I think there's, it still take a long time for maybe not, maybe my children's lifetime personally. And that's just guessing, but um, those two, those two minds together, you know, or three or four, depending on how big your crew is, uh, are you know the, you can hear in so many safety videos or instances and then just like you know the the jump says something you know he's not even part of the crew he might not even be on familiar with that 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 airframe but he knows basic aviation and he says hey you guys are fixating on this problem but you're gonna fly into a mountain and they're like oh gosh so um those those humans are smarter than mm-hmm. a computer could uh, can be in those moments while flying is pretty easy when everything's going right it's very difficult when things are going wrong um and you need those interpersonal skills to ensure that that happens and thankfully and um we've heard those safety incidences with those 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 eastern or those asian airlines some middle eastern asian airlines where the culturally and you know it's no fault of those people that's just the culture they brought up in 
um, doesn't question the, the authority figure uh, when even though they knew they should. Um, and, and another you know benefit of flying in, in America is we, we're not we have our own issues, obviously, but we don't fall as prey to that, at least. And we know about them. And that's the good thing about aviation is when even when an accident happens around the world, it uh, doesn't matter what country you're from. Uh, people kind of band together, like, why did this happen? Let's make sure it never happens again. Yeah, you know, and obviously referring to those Asian airlines, you know, they have improved a lot. Like Korean Air, they oh, have yeah. hired like a bunch of consultants and they immediately tackled that problem to their credit. And now they're one of the most safe, the one of the safest carriers out there. Absolutely. Um, so, 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 you know, credit to them for improving it after obviously a serious series of incidents that, you know, kind of like, you know, that's what we as airplane people do. And we just get together and like, OK, let's uh, solve this issue. I know. I mean, they're, they're just kind of they've been doing it since the airplanes have been flying. You know, they've they've people have crashed planes since airplanes have been flying. And, um, and then but the luckily is not a lot of the crashes happen for the exact same reason. And then you know, aviation safety in the last 20 years has just been just, I mean, remarkably safety. It's like um, it's it's almost impossible to think of how safe planes are now compared comparatively for how much people travel. Um I mean, there was a, a big train wreck in India today, like trains, you know, and hundreds of people died on that train accident. And you're just like, those don't even, you know, nothing. And especially in the U.S. aviation industry and North America in general, or, I mean, I think in the last five years, maybe there's been one death. And that was like Southwest uh, with the with the engine exploding and mm -hmm. the pressurization. A person, um, I think, being sucked out of the plane. I might be misremembering that, but just crazy the safety right now, the cultures, because we learn from our mistakes and we learn from others' mistakes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, based on like the thousands, the hundreds of thousands, the millions of flat hours flown, you know, and to have as little low amount of death uh, that we do have, you know, is pretty insane when you think about it. And back to the incident you you mentioned with Southwest um, Flight 1380. Yeah, what happened was one of the cowling, um, like that hold the cowling together kind of broke when the turbine disc kind of broke apart, yeah. kind of swung up and took out one of the windows and that passenger yeah. got sucked out. Yeah, um, it's a freak but, accident. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that person had like very little luck. And funnily enough, I actually met Captain Schultz, um, the captain that did that flight oh. um, like a few months ago now. And, you know, she, she kind of like, you know, said it, like it wasn't me who did it, that landing. It was my team who did yeah. it. And I'm just the face of that team. And again, that comes back into, you know, the whole thing of like, you know, teamwork, you know, working together as a crew. And that's why I kind of see with the whole single pilot debate not really happening, at least not soon. Yeah. Um, because it was, it is easier to go from three pilots, you know, you know flat engineer, first officer captain to two than it is to, you know, from two to one. Because you do need multiple people looking at it. Um, from the same perspective and being able to work together to solve the problem. Because, yeah, flying is easy. Click three buttons and the plane flies itself, you know, across the yeah. ocean. But, you know, what happens when the ships are down and you need to figure things out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're, 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 there's no, there's no, uh, I mean, computers, like when you run out of fuel, you know, there's no minimums, like you're going to have to land. There's no, you know, crosswind limits when you're out of fuel. Mm -hmm. There's no, like, just these things that you might. Have to, you can't teach computers some of these things um or to think outside the box like but i mean especially with solely you know solely burger and the landing in the hudson you know i don't even know how it's how you could possibly even knowing that that happened and programming a computer to do what he did if that happened i don't even think the computer could understand like what was going on in that moment and making it um 
you know, well, some people say the simulation, you know, you saw, if you've seen the movie, you've seen the simulations where they could have made a, another airport, but there's not just that simple as they make it sound. Yeah, that's definitely because um, I think in the NTSB report with uh, Captain Sullenberger, you know, um, they had that kind of like startle effect. And, you know, once they yeah. did the simulation of the startle effect included, which is, I think, 30 seconds or so or a minute, I'm not exactly sure that, you know, they wouldn't have made any airport under any circumstance. So therefore, yeah. you know, the Hudson was the best option that day in that scenario. And then even like a, a computer saying that they without startle factors making airports. I think it's probably the, the configuration they were is probably safer to land in a body of water that was more soft than a runway. Yeah. You know, so I mean, we can go back and forth on that all the time. But you're making great points, and I agree with you. And I and I, and I think people think that pilots are like, you know, well, of course they're saying that they're not engineers, but um, I mean, we we understand what happens and when you're stressed and those moments, and you either perform or you don't. And most people have performed, so um, I just we don't. Maybe someday, but we're definitely not there yet. So. Yeah, maybe one day when the technology is advanced enough, who knows? Maybe it's in our kids' lifetime, you know? Yeah. Who knows? But, you know, it's definitely not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, we can't, we couldn't predict, you know, like iPhones 30 years ago. So who knows what's going to come out in the future? But uh, <laughs> right now, with our technology and the forecast of what it will be, uh, even I can't see it in you know, maybe in 30 years, I, I could see it, but not right now. Yeah, yeah, that for sure. You know, there's also been incidents like, you know, you mentioned with, you mentioned with Sullenberger, you know, there's like also an A380 incident with Qantas that, you know, the turbine disc blew up and half their systems didn't work. You know, what mm -hmm. if what if something like that happens, right? You know, yeah, one pilot might not be able to handle it. In this case, there were five pilots on that flight. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you know, they worked together as a team and everyone lived to see another day. Yeah, if you, I mean, pilots with time can be pretty creative and they'll think of things that maybe have never, they're not in your tech order because they're, you know, you can't even compounding emergency tech order stuff uh, in your, in your, in your emergency checklist. Um, you can't predict everything. And so, but if you understand how planes work and you know the systems well enough, you, you understand what you don't have uh, to understand what you do have and know what can land and what can't. So. Um, yeah, we're still needed. <laughs> yeah, for now. Yeah, Look, yeah, for now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you've probably had an incident where you're like, oh yeah, you know, something didn't work out that wasn't in your tech order or anything. Maybe not sure you ever had that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's you know happened on the ground where like something just not acting correctly or um, I don't know if I think of anything in the plane where it wasn't like a tech order checklist. I mean it's never as clean as like the checklist makes it sound like, you know, checklists are very like, if then do this. And a lot of, we're still, on, we're in a pretty modern plane and it will tell you like what's wrong and what to run checklists. But, you know, we don't have flight engineers in the C-17 or navigators. Just a lot of times it's just two pilots or three pilots um, and our checklist. So, um, but yeah, most of the things are on the ground um, knowing that like, Hey, this thing's broken but it's, it's the symptom, you know, not really the cause. And then I could, you could save a lot of time if you understand the systems, maybe not required for all levels of, you know, understanding, but the, I've been on the plane a long time. So I know a lot of the intricacies of it still surprises and humbled me daily, but there will be like, I mean, I was flying on I flew Friday and there was a pressurization issue on the ground with our external power cart that we set. And I was like, Oh, I've seen this before. Um, where the other pilot hadn't seen it and so he thought it was like this checklist but i'm like i've seen this before um and this is a symptom 
Um, and then I talked to the maintainers and they're like, oh, that's absolutely right. Like your checklist would have done you nothing. Luckily we're on the ground. So it wasn't really a big issue, but um, yeah, there, there's things where it's like the checklist says this thing and it's just not the actual, what you're seeing isn't what's happening. So. Yeah, that, that, that's for sure. You know, um, yeah. Like for example, one thing that I can remember, like from uh, something that wasn't on a checklist was like a Northwest incident that had a split rudder. Um, this oh, was, I think 2005 or something, and they had no checklist for split rudder on what to do, and yeah. they just literally hand flew that thing. I think they're over the bearing sears thing, turned back and landed in Anchorage. Yeah, there was, th there was no checklist for that, so they made up yeah. a checklist for the, that hour and a half or whatever it was that you know until they landed. Yeah, I mean, there's a story in a C-17 where they had a big bird strike on a low level. They're flying low to the ground, and it took out the radome um you know huge crane or something or bird like a uh, sandhill crane uh just like a pterodactyl looking bird uh, but uh it commanded the, the the plane's um um automatic or basically the stall system that commands you to if you're stalling to pitch over was activated uh you know a couple hundred feet from the ground and the pilot knowing the system that was activating that and it will it will you can override it to the most part but you'll still be fighting it uh, for a substantial amount, um, knew that the system was now faulty and he turned it off uh, within, you know, five seconds and it was not an incident, but if people didn't know that they might've had, you know, I don't think it, it might've crashed, you know, if someone didn't understand that, that limitation, um, with no warning, the system, you know, there was no checklist to run because the system was just commanding it without any emergency warnings. They knew they hit a bird, so something was wrong, but, uh, like I said, a computer wouldn't like know that necessarily. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that definitely for sure. Again, that comes back into our conversation with, you know, single pilot, you know, computers, you know. Yeah, computers are can be helpful, but we all have computers at home to know that they we can kind of manipulate them to do whatever and they, they're not always, you know, understanding of the entire situation. Yeah, yeah not to beat it up too much, but I mean, we yeah, know yeah. The, the faults of automation, you know, even right now, the limits of it and over-reliance on it with humans involved is not necessarily good either. So over-reliance on all pure automation, I can't imagine wouldn't come without risks. And like going back to our safety record right now, like, is it worth the squeeze to, to, you know, these two pilots in the last 20 years and the foreseeable future have been pretty safe, like very small freak accidents, um, safer than, you know, train travel, safer than car automobiles and all that stuff. I know, like in the movie Dumb and Dumber, they're like, you're statistically more likely to get injured <laughs> on the way to the airport. There's a lot of bad drivers out there. Um, but it's still true. Yeah. Like, why, why are we so hard up on to eliminating these two people that have already made it safe? Money, okay. I, you know, that's not the necessarily the best reason to, to get rid of things. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are commercial pressures out there, you know, but hopefully, unfortunately, you know, safety can't be bought so yeah. you know you have to spend the money to you know as we have mentioned quite a bit you know uh, out of the hundreds of thousands millions of hours that are flown every year around the world you know there's almost yeah. no accidents percentage-wise if you look at it that way and don't get me wrong i love technology i love yeah. autopilot i love the automation i commend engineers for the things they have done because i yeah. Not an engineer background, um, and it's crazy. I can't imagine. I'm listening to the book Bomber Mafia by Malcolm Gladwell right now, and just the different generations of like 
you know, it was a war, but still, like even in training in the in the forties, fifties, and sixties, um, lots of pilots were, you know, wouldn't even make it out of pilot training; they would die because of mishaps. Um, so all this automation that has happened, and uh, I'm all about it. And I can't imagine flying the C-17 across the world without, you know, GPS <laughs> because <laughs> using a sex center to navigate the stars and hoping you land it, you know, you hope that your navigator got you within sighting distance of an island that sounds terrifying to me <laughs> yeah yeah that definitely technology does help we're not bashing yeah. on technology but yeah. having everything run by technology that's something different <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well uh jared thank you very much for coming on um and we'll uh debrief a little bit later and uh again thank you for coming on and appreciate your time no, yeah, thanks for having me. And once again, uh, if you guys are interested, you know, I'm uh, I'm really only on social media to help people. So that's kind of where I, a lot of people know me at He Pilots on Instagram. kind of, and you can DM me if you have any questions about military or transitioning to the civilian world. I don't know a whole lot about starting the civilian world, but I know people who know people. Um, so um, just I respond to DMs probably too much, but I really am passionate about helping people and pay it forward. So please reach out if you have any questions about anything aviation related or, uh, and I'll be happy to share them. So thanks for having me though. So yeah, appreciate you're it. welcome. And uh, I'm at pilot of the Caribbean. If anyone listen, is listening, so, you know, DM me, I can help you or, you know, I know someone that can help. So yeah, same. So thank you very much. And uh, we'll debrief a little bit later. Sweet.